Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thanks for joining us on the Transform You Live show, the only daily podcast show dedicated to helping you make real life and business transformation. Experts from around the world answering the thought-provoking cultural trending and spiritual questions of the day in a way that sounds like you're sitting in the backyard with your friend. So don't forget to hit the subscribe button and share, share, share. Today's episode is sponsored by Deeply, the meditation and self-care app. Who says meditation should be a chore? I don't know about you, but I definitely don't want my meditation to be a chore. This inviting colorful experience is where style and animation clash together and my voice might not be as soothing but it does have a very soothing voice embedded in this particular app that guides you along very gently and music wonderful music in the background that guides you down to a relaxing state download today in your app store or google play on any android and don't forget to leave a review. And when you do, tell them the Transform You Live show sent you over. Hello, once again, my people, my people. Welcome back to another amazing show. We got another fabulous guest. I am very blessed to have her uh, in my presence again. We were just talking on the other side. I think you guys are going to be thrilled as well. Uh, this guest is featured and uh, taking her time out of a great and busy day. Uh, this is the Transform You Live show. I'm your host, Marcus Hart. Uh, today's guest uh, is Dr. Taryn Marie. Uh, she is uniquely focused on enhancing resilience and leadership in life to allow people to bring out the best of themselves each day. She is the author of Flourish or Fold, The Five Principles of Particularly Resilient People. Is expected to release as a book in 2020. Uh, it is 2020, of course. So sometime today, uh, sometime today, or maybe later on in the year, you can expect that. Uh, she is the former head of executive leadership development at Nike, global leadership development at Cigna, and founded her own company, The Resilience Leadership, where she also served as CRO, which stands for Chief Resilience Officer. She is also a co-founder of Resilient Element 75, focused on making resilience accessible around the world through film and wearable technology, as well as the co-founder of Chief Operating Officer of Elevated Science, a newly founded AI communication platform, bringing help and healing to the planet through sharing information and empirical research. And, you know, it's also quite interesting to you know mention that she's an expert on resilience as i just first for mentioned and executive leadership she uses her formal training as well as life experiences to create these safer spaces uh, brave spaces for ceos and executive teams so if you are executive out there and um, a thriving ceo you definitely want to hook up with her uh, to uh, lead companies face the fear and failure uh, if you're looking to start up, uh, if you're looking to be a startup or if you have a startup and, and work more productively, work more productively and effectively, 
Dr. Marie is the person that you want to work with uh, because she is resilient, the epitome of resiliency uh, in herself. So without further ado, let's talk with Dr. Therene Marie. How are you today? Hi, Marcus. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. And it is just great to just uh, have you here. And, you know, you have a wonderful story, a, a truly, you know, beautiful story, all wrapped in one. Uh, but the journey is what, you know, is uh, really appealing. So when exactly did you really start your transformation journey? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting question, actually, because I think for so many of us, we don't necessarily realize when our transformation journey <laughs> is starting. <laughs> we just, it's it's more, you know, what I found is it's, it's more hindsight, you know, with 2020, we look back and we say, oh, you know, that was, that, that was the moment. But oftentimes I think in the moment, we don't, we don't realize that our life is about to, or has just um, been in the midst of, of a fundamental shift. Um, and it's, you know, it's interesting because I'll just say, you know, as an aside for a moment, I think we're in the midst of a, a fundamental shift right now for our, for our planet with the coronavirus and, and thinking about what that means, you know, for us as, as humans. Um, we've all been so unique, so distinct from so many different cultures and geographies. And it's, you know, this is, I think, a moment for us as humans where we're embarking on a a really sort of universal transformational transformational journey that we're about to figure out, you know, what, what is what does that mean for all of us? Um, but you know, for me, I think I I initially started to think about resilience when I was uh, doing a, a pre and postdoc uh, fellowship, doctoral fellowship in uh, neuropsychology at Virginia Commonwealth University, and what we found was we made a prognosis about how we thought patients were going to do after a neurological injury, after a brain injury or a, spine, a spinal cord injury. And because uh, rehabilitation from a neurological injury is a really long um, rehabilitation, you know, it, it can take years, right, for people to um, regain uh, a lot of their faculties after this type of injury. Um, we would see people for, you know, a long period of time in our outpatient clinic. And, and what we often realized is that people were often doing better than we thought, better than the prognosis, or people were doing worse than we thought. Uh, but rarely, you know, were we sort of hitting the, hitting the center of the target on just how people would fare after a brain injury or spinal cord injury. And so this, you know, was really interesting to a group of us because we wanted to be able to provide people with, with accurate information. And so what we did is we embarked on a study where we looked at, you know, all kinds of demographic information. If people w lived in a rural setting or an urban setting, if people had access to transportation, and we started to find that there were other factors that were influencing uh, people's rehabilitation you know, beyond what we were initially considering, which was really their age, the severity of the injury, and where the injury had occurred. 
And so we started to realize things like um, access to reliable transportation was uh, a significant differentiator in the trajectory of a person's rehabilitation and um, could be the difference between living independently uh, versus living in assisted care, right, which is an incredibly uh, important outcome for people after an injury. People want their independence back. And so I think that was one of the inflection points for me. You know, I don't know that there was just like a once and for all moment, but that was one of the inflection points for me where I started to think about the power of resilience Uh, because we're all not going to have brain injuries or spinal cord injuries. And, you know, thank goodness for that. Uh, But I started to think about the fact that we're all going to face challenge. And what if when we face a challenge, we knew that there was a a set of behaviors or a set of practices, if you will, uh, that if we engaged in these practices, they would make us more resilient versus less resilient. So I think that's when I really started to think about the power of resilience, you know, what this concept is. Um, And then, you know, you alluded to, and we can talk about this at some point or not, you know, that there were also a a variety of moments in my own life where I had, um, you know, uh, my own challenges, where I've had an opportunity to um, face those challenges and and to exercise some of that resilience as well. But that that was really the first time where I started to think about the power of this concept and also realized that it, it wasn't well-defined, right? When I looked up resilience in the dictionary, it, it was sort of a circular definition, right? Being resilient right. was demonstrating resilience and resilience was being resilient. And, and I thought that, you know, this, this is so powerful. I have to know more about what this is. So that's yeah. where it all started. Yeah. As you begin to go through that process, and you actually experience it in your life, you kind of feel what it is, but, and then you, you look at the definition and it's, it kind of doesn't really fit in what you actually are experiencing. So from your own research and from, from your own story, what does it really mean? right and and looking and looking at the world around us you know i think we really could use it you know i think we can really start applying it you know to to come out of out of this whole twilight like zone you know you know scene (laughs) it's like it's like a whole whole you know ultra almost step into a whole another dimension sci-fi type thing we're going through right now yeah it 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 does feel like that absolutely and and so to your to your point marcus i think you know resilience has always been a tremendously important concept and if ever there was a time (laughs) where where it was even more important than it has been for us for you know as humans in our in our growth and, and in our transformation certainly certainly it's now and you know what i was interested in is I felt like we knew quite a bit about mindsets or ways of thinking that made us resilient. And Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? 
In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So... Um, for you and, and for those of you listeners that are familiar with Carol Dweck, for example, out of Stanford, uh, she wrote a book called Mindset, uh, looking at fixed mindset versus growth mindset, and the idea that growth mindset is is a more resilient mindset. This idea that we we tell tell it, you know, we don't see things as static. We don't say, oh, I I can't play piano or I or I don't know how to ski. We say you know, I don't know how to play piano yet, or I'm not a good skier yet. And we see things as being flexible and and fluid and, you know, really the inherent possibilities in life. And so we know that having a growth mindset makes us more resilient. We know that practicing gratitude makes us more resilient where when we scan our environment for what we're grateful for, uh, for what's going right, as opposed to what's going wrong, uh, that that gives us a more resilient mindset. We know that saying positive things to ourselves um, as opposed to putting ourselves down in our own heads, creates more resilience. And so, you know, we, we knew quite a bit about resilient thinking, um, which I thought was great. Um, we, we have known traditionally much less about uh, resilient doing, right? Um, we know quite a bit about resilient thinking, thinking. We know less about resilient doing, or what are the behaviors or practices that we can engage in when those moments of challenge or change or complexity inevitably arise in our lives. Uh, and so over the course of the last decade, I've you know, interviewed hundreds of people, I've collected thousands of pieces of data, um, really asking people one simple but deliberate question, which was asking people to think of a time when they faced a challenge and how they had effectively addressed that challenge. And from that qualitative research uh, came the five practices of particularly resilient people, or what are the five behaviors, the five things we can do in those moments that make us more resilient. And so the first one is, is vulnerability. And so people are often surprised by this because I think there's still a mindset or, or sort of an ethos that being resilient means, you know, sort of stiff upper lip and, and toughing it out and arm wrestling our way through life and, um, you know, pretending that um, we're made of human Teflon or something like that. And what I found actually was that being more vulnerable and, and by vulner- vulnerable, I mean, allowing, you know, what we're thinking and feeling on the inside to match you know, the self that we show to the outside world to allow those two versions of ourselves to be congruent and authentic. Um, but that vulnerability is actually, uh, it creates greater resilience. Um, first of all, because we're not maintaining two personas, right? We're not mm-hmm. feeling and thinking and, you know, sort of reacting in one way on the inside and then trying to create a whole nother person on the outside. So that's one. And then two, you know, when we're able to be vulnerable with ourselves and other people, that that deepens relationships and it allows us to get, you know, the resources that we need um, in order to, um, you know, get help, right? Um, If we're, you know, concerned about something or we need a skill or companionship or, um, you know, 
assistance with problem solving, right? By being vulnerable and, and asking for that, we're able to get what we need. Um, so vulnerability is the first practice. Uh, the second practice is productive perseverance, um, which is really this sort of exciting interplay, this art and science between, um, you know, whether we maintain the mission or uh, pivot in a new direction. Um, so Angela Duckworth um, has done some really exciting research on grit um, and sort of stick to itiveness. And a lot of people ask me, so is resilience grit, you know, are those two things synonymous? And, you know, grit is really kind of half of the practice of productive perseverance. It's the, it's the maintaining the mission part, um, which works really well if you're in um, a landscape or an environment that isn't going to change, right? So if right. you want to become a Marine or you want to become a Navy SEAL, um, you know, for the foreseeable future, what it takes to become those things, to graduate from the Naval Academy. She did quite a bit of research on students in the Naval Academy. You know, those, those criteria are not going to change. And so, um, you know, grit works well there, but in a, in a landscape where things are in flux, where things are constantly changing, where we have to continually assimilate, assimilate and accommodate new information, that's the sort of the maintaining, um, that's the opposite of maintaining the mission, that's deciding, you know, when and how and, and to what extent or degree we pivot in a new direction. Um, and that's really an environment, you know, characterized really for all of us right now as we sort of learn about the impact of coronavirus and, and what that means for each of us um, really personally. Um, and it also means that, you know, for people like entrepreneurs and things like that, where the landscape is constantly shifting and changing, um, you know, that that element of, of productive perseverance, right, on the one hand, charging forward, and on the other hand, you know, really keeping an eye on kind of the market and the disruptions um, is incredibly important. Um, so those are the first, those are the first two practices, but I'll just, I'll check in with you on those and see if you see what questions you have and we can certainly talk about the other three or take it in a different direction. Man, Dr. Marie, you just, <laughs> you just lit a fire all up through me. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh, that's amazing. That's, well, I want, I want to hear about you the know, fire that's been lit. <laughs> wow, you know, I, you know, I'm just over here smiling because, like, you know, you, you just took me back to a time when, you know, what, you know, at, you know, just as a, as a, a military veteran, um, you know, um, just thinking back to when, when I had to just transition, you know, make this huge transition, mm. you know, and still, you know, I'm still going through this whole transition, um, you know, from, uh, soldier, you know, uh, to civilian, you know entrepreneur the whole entrepreneur and it's a lot of my audience members out there who can who can speak to this you know a lot of veterans out there who can speak to this and, and a lot of a lot of um moms and dads you know um you know that's trying to juggle the whole uh stay at home and and then work work at the same time you know a lot of entrepreneurs you know you you, you just spoke to so much you know and, and it that is the hardest thing you know, being, being vulnerable uh, and asking for help, you know, um, most people, mm. think, most people think that it is not an intelligent thing to, to go, to be vulnerable and ask for help when actually mm -hmm. it is, it's very, is, you know, you, you, you really spoke um, some huge points there, you know, and I, I think when people, um, you know, go through so much trauma in their life or they have a, a huge traumatic event um, or, you know, um, they may have like uh, you know um, something that they could you know they may look at as an insecurity or 
handicapped, um, you know, they may say to themselves, oh, man, you know, I'm very embarrassed about this or, you know, um, you know, I'm just going to keep this to myself. I'm going to hold this to myself. And they try to mm-hmm. wrestle with it and, you know, um, but it causes more harm than, you know, than what they think. And, uh, and then it, it keeps them from being able to um, grow into the best possible self. And, um, you know, and, and that's actually the opposite um, of, um, you know, um, of, <laughs> I, I, you know, it's, it's actually foolish. It's actually more foolish. It does more harm than, you know, um, what, you know, what you just spoke to. Um, and, you know, and I'm looking, just looking over your own story, you know, uh, you about with, um, uh, you know, uh, being able to, um, you know, um, consciously be aware that you had dyslexia. Uh, you, you grew up with dyslexia and, you know, um, you didn't, you wasn't officially diagnosed with it until you were 37. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, and you, you, you 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 drew a judgment tag on it that that you wasn't intelligent you know because you had it but you were able to you know um even get your doctorate degree you know um with with this diagnosis and you know it just it just speaks to so much it speaks so many values that you know even even with you know diagnoses such as that you know that you know um you you can you can be so resilient, uh, even in, in the, even in the midst of, you know, um, things, you know, such as this and, you know, and by going asking for the help, getting, finding, finding the right resources to pull yourself up and, and go on and achieve great things that you, that you were meant to accomplish, um, you know, um, and live out your purpose, you know, so, so, so I'm hoping that I'm, 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 I'm dreading with you and if you want to respond to what I just said yeah I I love so many things about what you just said uh the first the first thing that I love that I think comes up for a lot of people is this really sort of basic (laughs) notion that um it's um it's simple but it's not easy and that's the concept of asking for help and so I, I think still, um, at least, you know, here in the West, in the United States, um, we have a really um, ambivalent relationship with the concept of asking for help. So, I, I mean, I, I love to help people. I mean, do you love to help people? Absolutely. It, it is nothing yeah. I, you know, I, I think I help right? people more than I help myself. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I think I absolutely right. do, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, you get euphoria from uh, actually helping so many people. And, you know, and it, it, it's, I think there's a, a study out there that, you know, um, it raises the serotonin from helping people, you know, so. I love that. So yeah. we, so, so not only do we feel great, but we have this, this boost and this really positive mm-hmm. neurotransmitter in, in serotonin when we get to help other people. And so, you know, I, I think so many. I think so many people would say the same thing that we say, right? That they love to help other people. Lucky Land Casino asking people, "What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?" Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office, more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me. What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse. The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it. Testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org. And, and, and yet, you know, we like to be the helpers, right? But we don't oftentimes ask for help and, and give people the opportunity to have that experience themselves, you know, of helping us. And so, you know, one of the journeys I've been on personally, and and I know this conceptually from my work in resilience, right? But theory is different than practice, as we know. You know, one of the journeys that I've been, been on is to recognize that, you know, my asking for, my asking for help um, is a blessing, is a blessing to people, right? It, you know, gives them an opportunity to, to, to feel empowered, to feel important, um, to raise their serotonin, as you mentioned, you know, about that study. I asked someone for help just recently, if a good friend of mine, if he could walk through with me and be a sounding board on a, a difficult decision that I needed to make. And, you know, I, I thought, oh, maybe I'm bothering him or, you know, he's not going to want to do this or he's got a lot of other things he needs to do. And at the end of the, and at the end of the conversation, he sincerely thanked me and he said, you know, it just means so much to me that someone like you, Taryn, would reach out to me and think that I had something valuable to share and, and to say, you know, in this moment. So sh- shifting that script, I think, for all of us and, and we're all in a moment, I think, where you know, none of us are going to be able to do these next couple of weeks on our own. You know, we've got an opportunity to both help our neighbors and our community and ask for help and receive help, right? To, to sort of balance that, that scale between giving and receiving. And so I think there'll just be tremendous opportunity for us to learn this lesson as, as humans and to recognize that our needs for help are not a burden, but in fact, you know, a blessing to people who, who really desire to help and, and to give to us and, you know, who get, who get so much out of that, you know, as we do. Um, and it, it's, you know, it's, it's also, I like to say, you know, it's, it's not fair. It's not fair to hog, <laughs> to hog all the help giving, you know, like no, it's, not. it's not fair for me to be the one to give the help, you know, like I, I need to balance, I need to balance that scale with people. Um, otherwise it, it doesn't feel, um, it doesn't feel equitable. So um, that's one thing that was coming up for me. And and the second thing that I, I thought that you brought up that was really important um, was this idea of, you know, we think to ourselves, um, well, if people really knew, right, if people really knew what I was struggling with, or if they really knew me, or if they knew that I was uncertain about this, you know, we worry so often, um, we worry so often about what I like to call the three L's right? The three L's. And the three L's are love, like, and leave, or you can say them in any order. And, and I think so often we worry that um, if people really knew us, or they really knew what we were grappling with, they wouldn't like us, 
they wouldn't love us and they might and they might leave and I, I think all of us live with this really kind of tangible fear about that and so you know Brene Brown's talked quite a bit about vulnerability so have other um, you know prolific folks um, in sort of the self-development space it came up for me as one of my practices of particularly resilient people so so we know that that vulnerability is is you know, has utility. We know that vulnerability is important um, in our lives. And so that made me ask, well, well, if we know vulnerability is important, you know, why aren't we all living, you know, why aren't we all sort of running around living these fabulous, fabulously vulnerable lives? Um, and so I, I started to ask people questions about that too. And what came out of my qualitative research was this concept called the shame, the shame bias, the mm -hmm. shame bias. Yeah. Um, and the shame bias is, is just what you said. You really, you really spoke to and you, you defined it, which is the idea that, um, you know, when we know what somebody else is going through, right? I, I like to give the example, like when someone stands up on the stage and, and they give their testimony, right? We think more of that person because we're just in awe of what they've come through, right? Um, we've, we're in awe of the test that they have translated or, or transformed into their testimony. And, and yet when we sort of project ourselves up on that stage, when we project um, what it would be like to tell our truth up there, um, we worry that people will think less of us instead of more of us. So this idea exactly. that we think, you know, we think more of other people who tell their story, but we worry that that's not going, to, that's not going to hold true for us. And in fact, people will think less of us. And, and that's just sort of a, a fundamental, you know, call it cognitive or, or you know, way of thinking, a bias, something that's un, untrue. Um, but the only way I've found, maybe you've found other ways, Marcus, and you can tell the listeners, but the only way that I've found to overcome the fear associated with shame bias, that if people really knew us, you know, they, they wouldn't like us, they wouldn't love us, and they would leave, it, it is is to tell the truth, right? Is to right. actually face that fear, and that's and that's really difficult for people. And so, um, what I decided to do in in 2016, when I was doing this research um, in 2017, so about three or four years ago, um, I decided to start telling people the truth about myself, and to see what would happen. I wanted to test this theory. And so I had had for about two decades uh, a diagnosable level of post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, now, I'll just say as a little PSA here that um, I, I think a lot of our mental health diagnoses need to be renamed in order to reduce stigma. Yeah. And I think P I PTSD is one of them, right? I think we could talk about that as post-traumatic stress response, right? Mm -hmm. A normative constellation of symptoms and response that people have after going through trauma that is not a disorder necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I knew that I met um, the, the diagnostic criteria for this diagnosis. And I hit it because I was, I was working in a corporate environment and I was head of global leadership development um, for a, a global insurance company. And I thought, well, if people knew that I had this diagnosis, they wouldn't like me, they wouldn't love me, they might leave, I might lose my job. Um, and I thought, well, let me test this, right? And so I started speaking about it. I started speaking about it publicly on, on stages. Um, 
Susan Cain, um, who's a, a, a dear colleague of mine who wrote the book uh, Quiet mm-hmm. um, about about introverts. Yeah, um, she I talked like about that. going on a <laughs> yeah. She talked about her own sort of tour, you know, of speaking dangerously. And for her as an introvert, that just meant getting up on stage, right? right. And and my own tour of speaking dangerously meant standing up in front of people and, and telling them the truth about my PTSD. Um, and, and a funny thing happened, um, which was um, I became closer to people. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't lose my job. Um, I didn't lose friendships. Um, you know, the, the vast majority of people in my life um, not only stayed, uh, but, we, but we deepened our relationship and our appreciation for each other. Um, through that, through that disclosure, through that understanding. Um, and, you know, I was able to step into uh, being truthful about myself. I was, I was able to be truly vulnerable in the sense that what I was experiencing on the inside, I allowed that to match the person that I was uh, showing to the world on the outside. Incredible truly remarkable and you know and 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 what you just did you you just you know and i was just uh looking at you know all five of the the uh practices of uh particularly resilient people you, you you've been you know you've been you know taking us through you know each five of the practices and you know and i was looking at the um the practice of gratitude gratitude <laughs> Gra- yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the composite of words for gratitude and generosity, you know, and, and that's mm-hmm. just, you know, um, having gratitude for the challenge change and capacity for what you had, had experienced and, and being able to share these stories, uh, in a, in a more, uh, generous and, and more, um, gratifying way, you know, on being able to, you know, be grateful for what you have gone through, removing that mask, um, you know, that we try to hide behind, you know, we all have these different masks, we, masks we're trying to put on uh, at different times, you know, um, you know, just stripping away the mask and being, being, you know, your true authentic self, being more genuine and, mm-hmm. you know, and that's truly an incredible, um, you know, that many of us, you know, that gets, that you've been able to do that and, and it's drawn, uh, drawn so many people uh, towards your way. Uh, and, you know, and, it, you know, and it all started, you know, at, at uh, point number one uh, in the five principles of, you know, the practice of vulnerability, you know, so which is, you know, so, so important, so important. Uh, and, you know, this is truly remarkable. Uh, you know, you know, I, I just, I just love these, you know, um, you know, and I just think these are practices that many of us can use in humanity uh, for humanity. You know, with that being said, you know, I just got one final question as we, you know, continue to wind down. Um, I wish I can just keep you on for hours and hours. <laughs> I, I would love to stay for hours and hours. This is really fun. Yeah. yeah you, really I mean, fun. you really, really have offered us so much, you know, in, in such a compact way, you know, um, I mean, you know, we, we really, you know, I've, brought some something holistically here you know that's incredible um that's definitely going to help many people you know survive uh you know this this uh you know i don't even call it a crisis it's not even a crisis you know it's just definitely you know um a point in our 
you know, um, um, you know, on a timeline here uh, of our of our universe uh, that we definitely must transform through and go through. Um, but you know, what what does the next ten years look like for humanity if if everyone was to adopt your principles and or philosophy? You know, this, so this is definitely you know, a good question. Ooh. <laughs> Yeah, it's an amazing, it's an amazing question, especially because, um, you know, we're on such a, what, what appears to be such a significant precipice of change right now. And even sort of the magnitude and, and the holistic impact of the coronavirus and um, all of the accompanying factors, I don't think, you know, what that truly means for us as a global community has been, has been revealed yet. Um, you know, I, I hear, I hear you and I hear others, you know, hesitant to use this word crisis, right? And, and certainly we don't want to, um, you know, be, be fear mongers or anything like that, right? Um, but I, I think, you know, sort of in the, in the spirit of, of gratiosity, right? In the spirit of the, you know, sort of the combination of this word for gratitude and this word for generosity. And the idea that that's the fourth practice of particularly resilient people, right? The ability to, with some time, with some distance, to be able to look on a challenge with a measure of gratitude, right? Even if we didn't like the outcome, even if there was tremendous loss, even if there was tragedy, we, we typically can look on our challenges and, and find the good in those challenges, right? Mm-hmm. Find the gratitude um, and then share those lessons, right? With people generously, which is the other half of that practice um, so that, you know, people can, can learn vicariously through our experience and through our own through our own lessons. And, and so, you know, I would say, I don't, I don't know if we're in a crisis yet, um, but if we are, let's not waste it. <laughs> you know, there's, sure. there's a quote, I don't know who said it, right? But like never waste a good crisis, right? We, we are in the midst of, I think, what will be um, some really significant planetary upheaval. Um, and I think a large majority of what will happen will be for us as humans, right? It, yes. You know, it, there's this word, you know we, all know, we all know this word, you know, paranoia, right? This belief that, you know, things are, are not happening um, for our highest and best good. But there's another word for that that's, that's not as widely known, and it's called pronoia, pronoia. And, and pronoia means um, that everything is working out in our favor, and so what if this coronavirus, although a number of people are getting sick and we've had a lot of deaths, right? What if this is all meant to be in our favor, right? Because while um, there is widespread illness, um, also the quarantine and people staying home is, is saving the planet countless toxic emissions from planes and trains and automobiles and people no longer mm. commuting or flying around. Um, it gives Mother Earth a chance to heal. Um, the coronavirus provides us with an opportunity to have um, a truly universal experience as a planet 
um, that may be able to knit us together more closely in humankind and to see our to see our similarities more clearly um, and um, you know than we do our differences uh, today to to come together around some of these incredibly fundamental planetary aspects, right? I mean, there's incredible poaching of of wild animals um, in Africa to the point where we could lose that ecosystem in a significant way in, in 10 years, um, in large part because of the black market uh, trade of bushmeat in China. And yet now China is starting to outlaw eating wild animals, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think we can ask ourselves, you know, what if this is happening for us, right, instead of to us. Um, and if that were the case in the next 10 years, um, and we all adopted these concepts of resilience, which was really your initial question, you know, resilience is about recognizing our, our fundamental aptitude um, as people and, and recognizing that we have the power to uh, not bounce back, not go back to the way we were when we face a challenge, but to bounce forward, right? To be fundamentally and forever changed by an experience and to allow that to make us better. And so I think, you know, one, if we were to adopt the principles of resilience over the course of the next year, of the next decade, um, we would all up-level as humans right? We would embrace our own power. We'd embrace our own healing. We would be more hopeful. We would be kinder to ourselves. And by definition, we'd be kinder to other people, right? right. Um, that, that would be the first thing. You know, I think the second thing um, would be that we would see challenge as opportunity. Um, you know, we would, we would say, ah, uh, you know, how, how can I grow and develop in the midst of you know, this scenario, which may not feel ideal at the moment, but is meant to bring me uh, significant lessons. Um, And the third one is, you know, we would recognize that while we're all unique, you know, as humans, um, we're all connected, right? There are more universals bonding us together than, you know, we're more alike than we are different. And I think if we can embrace our connectedness, and that's the third practice of particularly resilient people, if we can connect to ourselves, if we can trust our gut, if we can know ourselves deeply and, you know, slow down the frenetic pace that so many of us live our lives, um, you know, at and really connect with ourselves deeply and then allow ourselves to connect deeply with other people and appreciate that that interconnection, that thread amongst all of us as humans um, is, is incredibly important in how we um, lock arms as a species and address, you know, things like illness, things like war, things like conflict, um, and also how we take care of our environment. Uh, I, I think we will have um, progressed 10 years in the future um, in time, but likely have progressed at least a hundred years in terms of how we relate to one another um, and how we take care of one another and the planet. Beautiful. Uh, you, you know, you definitely answered that question uh, very thoroughly and you uh, put us all at a calm, you know, uh, with just those wonderful principles and 
practices that we can start implementing right away. Uh, we definitely really appreciate you. Tell us where we can just find more information about you, you know, a website, if there's any social media that we uh, should follow you on, um, anything at all, that things you might have coming up, uh, we definitely like to be informed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so all of my media is listed on my website, um, which is uh, www. Uh, resilience with a C, resilience-leadership.com. Um, I'm on Facebook um, and Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, probably my largest uh, following right now is on Instagram. I'm posting there, there daily um, with inspirational and resilient messages, especially with um, the coronavirus and a, ver a variety of other challenges we're facing today. Um, and that is my full my full name, Taryn with a Y, Marie uh, Stasco. Excellent. Well, we greatly greatly appreciate you stopping by and chatting with us today. Is definitely been a pleasure. Uh, do hold her live briefly here, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls out there today. Uh, we do appreciate you tuning in to this particular episode. We do ask that you do share this episode. Uh, this episode has featured uh, the wonderful uh, Dr. Taryn Marie. Uh, those who have been tuned in, I ask that you share this episode with a family, friend, and even a frenemy. So your frenemies can become your friends. Uh, and so uh, we all are in this together. Uh, we hope that you have enjoyed it. I know you have because I have enjoyed it myself. It's been a great conversation. Uh, the wonderful Dr. Tara Marie is the foremost expert on resilience and executive leadership on using her formal training as well as life experiences to create safer spaces, brave spaces for CEOs and executive teams alike to successfully lead their companies, face fear and failure inherent in leading a startup and working together effectively and productively. She speaks on a variety of topics, uh, a load of them. Uh, so if you want the full overview on resilience, you will find the uh, the links uh, along uh, with uh, more information in the episode description. Uh, you can find this episode on any podcast app, any of your favorite podcast app, as well as our website. Uh, so until next time, I'm your host of the Transform You Live Show, Marcus Hart, where you can make real life and business transformation. Until next time, many blessings. Peace and lots of love. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.